for it. Let me get my uh, thing going here. Um, anybody know any good fishing tales? Uh, funny, funny. Well, we've been in this, uh, we started this series last week um, based on this, uh, that, this concept of like, what would the newspapers read like? You can go ahead and push the lights all the way up. Um, what would the newspapers look like during the time period between the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, right? Like, what could the articles be like? And last week, last week, I, if you go back and listen to last week, like I enjoyed last week, even though I was the one that did it. But I want to start off by telling the story. This is why, um, this is why I asked that question. Um, me and Anthony used to go fishing a lot. Actually, we used to go fishing all the time. Not as much anymore or as much as I would like to anymore. But there was one thing that we, that we always asked somebody if we were going to the boat dock a boat ramp to launch our boat and somebody was coming out. Anybody know what that question is? Did you catch anything? How are they biting? That simple question has a lot of implications, right? Because if they say, oh, we weren't, we weren't catching much, well, how deep were you fishing? Was it shallow or, or was, was it down deep? And if, if you're lucky, they would tell you if they're catching something. Half time, they would be like, oh, you know, they'd lie to you. I saw Anthony lie several times, just so y'all know. Y'all need to pray for his soul. What, were y'all, what was you using? I was using a, 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 a blue lizard. No, you weren't. You were using a jig. What are you talking about? You know, but there's this question that has a lot of implications. It's simple questions that have a lot of implications. Did you catch anything? The simple, the simple question, are the fish biting? If, if not, were, were they shallow? Or what were you using? Or There's something about asking simple questions that make us concentrate on life's biggest mysteries, right? It's these simple questions that make us think, like, makes us examine our lives and how we live our lives. And today we're going to look at a story of Jesus. I'm going to put my gum out. This is a little awkward. Because I catch myself chewing it. Okay. Um, Jesus rolls up on, on shore and asks his disciples a simple question post-resurrection. And if, you're, if, this, if, this title, if this newspaper article had a title, the title would be The Hall on Lake Galilee or Tiberias for you Romans. Um, depending on which, which gospel you read and which some, some translations use uh, Tiberias and some use Galilee, but it's the same lake depending on if you're a Roman or if you were Jewish, just so you're aware. So if you read that like, the Bible's contradicting itself. No, it's not. It's talking to two different audiences. Okay? Dang. Back off. All right? So leading into this, after Jesus' resurrection, he sent a message for his disciples to meet him on the mountain of Galilee. Now, we don't know exactly which mountain in Galilee he was talking about, but the disciples apparently knew. Like if uh, mine and Anthony's friend, there's a lot of me and Anthony stories today. If, if, uh, if mine and Anthony's friend Brady called us and said, hey, I need you to meet us at the spot, we wouldn't have to ask where that was. We would know exactly where to drive, wouldn't we? Wouldn't need GPS, wouldn't need anything. So Jesus, Jesus here said, told, told Send a message to his disciples saying, meet me on the, on, on the mountain in Galilee. Um, meet me at the spot. This, this, it, and here's the, here's the idea. I'm getting ahead of myself, and I'm sorry, y'all. I'm excited. So let's, let's see, like, what do they do in the meantime while they're waiting in Galilee by this mountain, by this lake? This is the story I love. This is, I, love, I say I love every story, but I dearly love this story. John 21, verse 1, it says this. Later, Jesus appeared once again to a group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. It happened one day 
Um, while Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and Jacob, John, and two other disciples were all together. That's seven of them. All right, they're all hanging out. Peter got tired of waiting on Listen to this. He goes, Peter told them, I'm going fishing. <laughs> Sounds like something Anthony would say. And they all replied, we'll go with, we'll go with you. They were tired of waiting too. So they went out and, and fished through the night, but caught nothing. Then at dawn, Jesus uh, but at, then at dawn, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was him. And there's a lot of people are like, like there's questions of why didn't, they, um, why didn't they recognize him. And some of it would be like, you know, it's dawn, there's fog. And some people like, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, we'll have resurrection bodies. Maybe the reason they didn't recognize him at first is because we don't know what resurrection bodies look like. But even though it's like, but the question becomes like, but they've already seen them like three times. Like you think that you'd remember what Jesus looked like post-resurrection, but that's, a whole another story, but he goes on and he says this. Um, he called out to them saying, hey guys, here's the question. Did you catch any fish? And what do most fishermen say? Not a thing, they replied. All right, that's normally my story. I didn't catch anything. Ask <laughs> Anthony. I'm pretty bad. Jesus poses a simple question right here. A question that on the surface seems like a small Small talk kind of question, right? A question that you would ask in passing as you're unloading and unloading on a boat ramp. But, one, I wonder if he's trying to draw something out of them, right? Because what one, one thing, which isn't really what we're going to focus on today, but it's one thing that one thing they could be calling, drawing out is the fact of what did Jesus say when he originally called them to be disciples? I'm going to make you fishers of men. So I wonder if him saying... Are you catching any fish? Them hearing that voice, because here in a minute we're talking about this voice. I wonder if, wonder if that was drawing them. Oh man, I remember when Jesus said that to me. I will make you fishers of men. But the one thing that I kind of want to focus on just for a second is for three and a half years they threw their nets in the direction of Jesus. At this, at this point, they've already seen Jesus a few times, but there's still some lingering questions like what's going to happen to us? What's all this about? What does this mean? And I wonder how many of us, like the disciples, have spent our nights throwing our nets in the directions that we think God wants us to go in. And it just seems like we're not ever catching anything. You with me? Like we, like we know, like God, you call, I know you called me. And you know, I'm casting my net here where I think you called me, where I believe you called me, and I know you have a plan for my life. And I'm, I'm throwing out my nets, and I'm throwing out my nets, but I wonder sometimes if we're throwing them in the wrong direction. And when we, when we start throwing them in the wrong direction, and our, our nets are just constantly coming back empty, like it never seems like we're getting anything, it's not producing anything. Like, we're, God, I've been doing this ministry for 15 years, and it seems like nothing's happening. I'm in the same spot. Like, what, what am I, I going to do? Like, and you're on the verge of giving up because you're not seeing any fruit from the thing that you've been working for. And I believe that God wants you to know this promise that is found in the book of Psalms when the writer of Psalms says that weeping may tarry for the night. You may be throwing your nets night after night after night with no result and you're getting frustrated and fed up and don't know what to do. But here's the great thing, but joy comes with the morning. There's going to be a day when everything that you worked for, everything like the Bible talks about the word not coming back void, like you, you are sowing seeds that you are immeasurable. But your joy will come in the morning. How do I know? I'm glad you asked. John 21.6 says this, 
Jesus shouted to them, Throw your net over to the starboard side, and you'll catch some. Sounds like a true carpenter right there, doesn't it? He knows nothing about fishing. So they did, so, so, and so they did as he said, and they caught so many fish, they couldn't even pull in the net. So here's the thing, when it seems like nothing is happening, when you keep throwing your nets and nothing's pulling in, maybe we should cast our nets in the direction that we know that God is moving in. Like we see people working, we see ministries thriving, we see we, we see put like we see people's ministries just booming, and maybe maybe it's for us. Maybe for us it's, it's us casting our nets in that direction. I know God, you're moving that way. And until I start producing what I know you called me to do, I'm going to throw my net that way and haul in uh, haul in a load. When it seems like nothing is happening, when you cast your net, look at where you know God is moving and cast your net in a, in, in way of the Lord, in the way of the Lord. And here's here's why I find this interesting is we sometimes we, we don't think, we, I don't want to get in God's way. No, we need to get in God's way. Like I love it when, when like the story of Abraham sent Eleazar to find his, Find a wife for his son Isaac, who is Rebecca. If you didn't know, when talking to her, talking to Rebecca's father, like he said, he goes, "I being in the way of the Lord, I being in the way of the Lord, the Lord led me here." Like he he got in the way of the Lord to find find Rebecca's dad. Like sometimes I wonder, like if nothing else is working, what what would happen if we get in the way of the Lord? I think what would happen is like a, like a twig being thrown in a stream, we would be carried by the momentum of our, of our Savior. Cast your nets in the direction of our Father. John 21.7 goes on to say this. He says, Then the disciples Jesus loved, and that's John, by the way. Remember, he was that cocky guy who was like, I'm the only disciple Jesus loved. You know what I'm saying? Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! And I wonder why it was John that heard it and not Peter. We'll find out here in a second. It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. And I, I wonder why it was John who recognized Jesus' voice. Because you know what Peter's name, before, Peter's name before God gave him the name Peter actually meant he who hears. He who hears. And my question is, what was it? Peter's shame that prevented him from recognizing Christ's voice was the one whose name literally meant the one who hears. Was it blocked? Was his ears blocked because of his shame? Because if you don't know the story, what happened just a few weeks prior to that, when Jesus was like before Jesus was arrested, he said, "I will die for you. I will die with you. Let them come try to take you." And just a couple hours later, he denied Jesus three times. One time, even cussing a little girl out, saying, I don't even know who you're talking about. While standing on the porch at Caiaphas' house around a fire. Three times he denied Jesus. When just hours before, he said, I will die for you. That's, I mean, that poses a lot of questions in us. Oh, I will stand up for Jesus. I'll stand up for Jesus. I don't care whatever. Like, well, when the time comes, will you really? Will you really stand up? Because I mean, Peter's a pretty awesome dude, and he didn't. But can you really? But the question becomes, is because of this, the shame that he felt from 
what Jesus actually prophesied he would do is the shame block him. And I wonder if sometimes shame hinders us from hearing the voice of our Savior. Because I don't know if you remember, not too long ago when we, were, when we did this series and we talked about Satan, I said that when Satan talks to you about God, he lies. But when he talks to you about you, he accuses. Because when he wants to accuse you, he wants to lead you into shame. Because if you know if he can get you shamed about something in your past, you won't take step for your future. Well, you know, they know my story. They, they'll, they won't believe that God called me to this ministry because of what I did in my past. They know my story. Who cares if they know your story or not? If not, that, the Bible talks about that being actually a light, not a, not a place of darkness anymore. But I wonder if our shame hinders us from actually hearing the voice of God. But like Peter always does, always acts before he thinks, he jumps in the water and swims the shore. And this is what happens. The other disciples then brought the boat to shore. So Peter left them hanging. Here's a flow that they, like it was causing their boat to sink, and Peter's like, forget y'all, I'm going to see Jesus. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but you let your friends hang in. Dragging, dragging, their catch of fit, dragging their catch of fish, they weren't far from land, only about 100 meters. And, when, and when, they got, when they got to shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. So Jesus already had them breakfast prepared, and then Jesus said to this, bring me, bring me some of the fish you just caught. So Jesus, Jesus is going to bring you breakfast, but it's going to require you to, to give of yourself. He's going to, he, he wants to bless you, but before he can, before he can bless you, he's going, to, he's going to say, you know what, you're going to have to turn something over to me. Yes, because fish in that day were valuable. That's how they made money. And so he's saying, you're going to have to give what you value to me. And for most of us, it's really our life, right? Because we want to be the God of our own life. Instead of allowing God to be God, we make ourselves God. He's saying, you have to give, this, give something over to me. And so Peter, because remember, he swam to shore, left his buddies hanging. So Peter waded into the water and helped pull the nets ashore. He's like, sorry guys, I got excited. You know? he was full of, it was full of many large fish, exactly 153. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. And verse 12 says, come. Let's have some breakfast, Jesus said. And not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was because every one of them knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus came close to them and served them with, with bread, and, bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. And I love this next part because even though that John and Peter seem to have this friendly competition between each other, between racing each other to the tomb to see who can get there first, between all their arguments, John was a good friend and didn't want to leave his friend, his friend Peter in this book in shame. And that's why I love this next part. I love it. Listen to this. John 21, 15, 17. After they had, after they had ate breakfast... Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you burn with love for me more than these? And Peter, Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. And I love, I love this translation, how it says, because Peter goes, yes, you do, yes, I love you, right? And what, what the love that, that Jesus uses is phileo love, which is God's love, the trans, the, if you look at what Peter said, he used he, Peter uses Peter uh, Peter you know, God Jesus uses agape love. Peter uses phileo love, which is more of adoration. 
That's why this is like why why this you know, this text is so interesting. So it's Jesus saying after they had ate breakfast, uh, he Simon son of John, do you love do you burn with love for me more than these? Do you, do you agape love for me? Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs. He goes on to say, Jesus repeated the question a second time. Simon, son of John, son of John, do you do you burn with love? Do you do you have agape love for me? And Peter answered, Yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Phileo love. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And the third time, Jesus gets on Paul's level. If you look at the translation, it says, Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection? Do you, Phileo, love me? Do you really? And Peter was saddened by being asked the third time and said, My Lord, you know everything. You, you knew that I you knew that I would I would betray you, I would deny you. You know that I, I burn with love. Jesus replied, feed my lambs. So Jesus goes from saying, Do you have agape love me? He had the love of God for me with me. He lowers it down to Peter's level, and Peter realizes, you know what, I can't even love you that much. Can't even love you that much. And the great the great thing here is first let me just say this. While at the fires at the high priest Caiaphas' house, he denied Jesus, even denied knowing who he was. Now here Jesus builds a fire, and that, and and as he and, and as he, he is at this fire, he's eating breakfast with Peter. And in ancient times, eating with someone meant intimacy and relationship. And to eat with somebody, to someone who has done done you wrong, was 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 and is a gesture of forgiveness. Jesus here, without Peter even under, probably understanding fully, is restoring Peter's heart and restoring relationship. Peter, I'm not holding anything against you anymore. Not at all. Like Peter, you might be saying, why do you keep asking me these three questions? And it's the same three questions. And it really was two, two different questions. One of them asked twice. Jesus using agape love, the love of God, while Peter was using phileo. And then when Jesus asked Jesus, when Jesus asked, got on Peter's level and asked Peter, do you really love me in phileo love? That's why Peter was upset. It was Peter saying, God, you know me and you know that I admire you, but I, I can't at my own ability love you like that. And it's, and it's at this moment that even... It's at this moment where Peter is honest with himself, saying, "You know what? I can't. I can't fully. I can't fully love you like that. You're right. I can't." That Jesus gives him the greatest ministry of his life. In his can't, Jesus said, "It's all right. You're still going to do it. Go and feed my sheep. You will be a pastor to churches." And you just see a couple of chapters later in Acts, right? He's the one who gives the very first sermon. He's restored because of his honesty. Like, you're right. I have failed. Even in his shame, even in his guilt, 
Jesus said, I'm calling you to the greatest ministry of all time. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Even though we have shame and can't give God fully what is due Him, here's the greatest truth ever is that your calling is not denied. Just because you live with shame, just because you live with doubt, just because you live with guilt, just because you've done wrong in your past, or maybe even in the present you're in some wrong, the truth of the matter is your calling is never denied. Jesus is not a part of cancel culture. You with me? He's not going to cancel you out. If anything, his drive and his goal is to be a father who restores and redeems. That's why I love the fact that he uses scenarios of shame to redeem. Like I look back at my own story between what happened between me and my aunt, the things that it led through in my life and how it affected different relationships in my life. And, and I look back and I go, you know what, as bad as that was, look how much good has come from that. He has redeemed that situation. He's redeemed all the other shameful things in my life to the point to where those shames that I have now are now a light to other people who have been through the same thing. He's taking the shameful, the same scenarios to, and redeemed them to be glorious light. That's why I love if we go back to Psalm 30, it says this. It says, Lord, my healing God, I cried out for a miracle and you healed me. You brought me back from the brink of death. From the depths below, now here I am, alive and well, fully restored. That's what your Father wants for you. That's what Jesus wanted for Peter. He wanted Peter to know, I'm not mad at you. In fact, I'm glad you did it. Because now you have a story to tell of how great my glorious grace is. God's calling in your life can and will be restored. How do I know? Jesus goes on to talk with Peter, with Peter, and he says, Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices, and you went, you went where you pleased. But one day, when you are old, other, others will tie you up. Others will tie you up and escort you where you would not choose to go, and you will spread out your arms. And Jesus, Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of the kind of death he would die for the glory of God. Peter would later be buried. In fact, if you look, I mean, he'd be crucified like Jesus. But if you look, he didn't want to be crucified exactly like his Savior. And so he requested that he be crucified upside down. He thought it was unworthy for him to die in the same way of his Savior. And so he's like, let me die faster. Let me upside down. It's just the honor that Peter had, even after a life. A moment of shame in his life. And he said, Peter, follow me. You want your calling to be restored? You want your life to be restored? You want a, you want to go in the direction God wants you to have? You want to start, you, like this is Jesus saying, Peter, you will bring me glory. You want to be restored? And Jesus says, just start following me again. Just start following me again. Cast your net back into the stream in the, in, in the way, of, way of the Lord and watch him, the momentum of our Father drag you and you will be restored. Just follow me. And that's what Peter does. He goes to be one of our greatest faith heroes, right? And here's the thing, we look at him sometimes as this great hero, but guess what? He was a man just like me. Just like you. He put his pants on the same way as everybody else. Or in that, that case, a tunic, a robe. Right? 
we can be restored like Peter has been restored. If you will restore your sin in your life, you will restore your shame in your life. And you'll be able to your ministry through what God has called you to do, rather it be mopping floors or preaching from a stage or in an operating room or putting sutures into somebody's head or whatever you do, whatever your ministry is, God's going to restore that for His glory. That was Peter's Hall at the Lake of Galilee. What the fish? It was his restoration. Imagine him going back to his disciples going, Hey, I got it back, y'all! And then he goes to Acts and he preaches this bombshell of a message. You have crucified this man, but he still says, I will redeem you. Let me tell you my story. And Peter sh shares his story of redemption. I denied him three times. And by, this, by a fire, he restored me and brought me back. Children of Israel, you can do the same. You can restore. You can be restored today, too. God, I want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here. God, I pray as we sing this last song, if there's somebody here that needs restoration.